How much do you spend on a monthly basis? A lot of people don't know. That's why we sat down with Stacy Zrihan, who heads up Achiezer's financial literacy programs. We went through a personal budgeting worksheet, went through the various expenses people have, what she's seeing from her seat. Very enlightening conversation. And she does it, as we learned in this episode, for free, which is amazing. She can help you. And here's how. Enjoy. Being a Jew, awesome. Managing personal finances, not so awesome. Welcome to Kosher Money. Another episode of Kosher Money. Stacy, how you doing? I'm great. How are you today? Good. So tell us about what you do and how you help families. So I, um, I work with Achiezer currently as a volunteer, as a financial advisor. I've been doing it for about 15 years now uh, through Achiezer and separately as well. And I work with families to create a financial plan, a budget uh, in this most simplest form, and then to sort of look forward and see what their coming up challenges or, or um, other financial issues are. And we work together to make sure they've got a plan going forward. This is volunteer? This, this is, is a volunteer. It's volunteer. How do you have the time for? Uh, this is what I do. Thank That's God. beautiful. That's beautiful. I, so, I have a very nice husband. <laughs> so tell us what that means exactly. So when we started doing this through Achiezer, um, we were called and I was called in and we have a team of budgeters under Eliza Wartelski. We were called in to help basically with fires, put out fires. We had a lot of people who were in dire straits who were having issues. They were going through a foreclosure. Their house was going to be taken away. Um, they had uh, enormous credit card debts and other issues. They weren't able to pay tuition. So they were called in on an, we were called in on an emergency basis, basically. What year was that? Um, I would say it's at least, it's at least 12, 13 years ago. So I, Was that a new problem, you think? Um, I don't think it was a new problem. I think that that's very real in our communities. I think there are a lot of people suffering, and I think that those people sort of come to the forefront, or at that time at least, came to the forefront really only once the problem was big enough that they had no other options. Um, and they would make a call either to Achiez or elsewhere and say, help, we need help. And what's happened over the past 13 years is that the the clientele, if you will, has shifted. And the wonderful part is that we're seeing a lot more um, younger, you know, younger people coming in, newly married couples, newly engaged couples, some of whom had we had their parents in um, as on the emergency basis. We have a lot of young singles who are getting jobs and who are saying, I'm not sure how to go forward. What do I need to spend? What do I need to save? And the mere fact that that balance has shifted is so wonderful because every younger person that comes in or every high schooler who's taught about finances and budgeting is one more person who down the road hopefully will not fall into the pitfalls and into the traps and we won't have to see them on that emergency basis. Are you still seeing people though in dire straits? We do. We're definitely seeing things across the board and um, unfortunately there are people who have not had the exposure to, um, to financial planning or to budget or whatever you want to call it, um, in the shorter term and in the, in, when they're younger, in the earlier years. And so they do make those mistakes and, and later on they, they need to get out of them. So we do see those clients still as well. And when someone comes in in dire straits, um, a lot of that, and we spoke about that with Simi Mandelbaum, a lot of that is emotion, right? How do you, what, what are you doing to help them calm down, see the bigger picture? How did you know, look back in six months and say, hey, We've come a long way. So the best thing that I can say is that, uh, you know, or to give people a sense of, hey, this is worthwhile, 
thank God we've seen so many hundreds of families over the years. I can't think of too many where I threw up my hands and said, wow, this is a really hopeless case. I know that the families themselves and couples and singles themselves sometimes do that. They look at their own situation and they say, this is hopeless, this is helpless. But very rarely do we see that on the other side of the table. And that means that there is something to do. There's a, there's a process to follow or there are decisions to make. Um, and, and we are very often able to help somebody just because we're not standing in their shoes, um, we're able to to sort of look at it from a different perspective and say, I know you, you think you've seen all the, all the cards on the table, but what if we approached it this way or what if we did things a little differently? Well, it doesn't happen overnight, but there is definitely, you know, there's definitely something to do for almost every, you know, every client that we see. I was talking to someone a few weeks ago in Confidence and he was telling me, I'm in mountains and mountains of debt. I tried speaking to someone. It's not working. Um, He's married. He's like, my wife doesn't even want to get involved in this discussion. You know, he sort of sounded um, helpless or hopeless. What do you do in a situation right. so, like that? So, you know, again, I, the, I say come early and come often because, it, you know, the, the old saying is they used to joke, if it takes you nine months to put on the weight during pregnancy, it takes nine months to take it off. It's very similar with debt. Um, if you wait till the last minute, it's going to take you a very long time to unravel the situation. If you see that things are a little tough early on and this is not something that's natural to you, come sooner. Come meet with somebody. You know, I, I, I meet with clients sometimes and they go, I'm so embarrassed that I don't know my own finances and I have to ask someone else. And I always joke, well, I'm paying somebody to tell me to eat egg white omelets. So we all have areas that are not natural for us. And if budgeting or financial planning is not natural for you, find somebody to do with. It might be a friend, it might be a family member. Or call, you know, or call somebody in, you know, locally or through one of the organizations that provide this service. Sit down with somebody who does know how to do this and and get on track. So my, you know, my advice would be if you are in any sort of trouble, even if it's, you know, kind of new and you're not sure if you're in trouble, come now. The sooner you come, the better it is. You touched on one other point I want to mention, and that's the the spouses being on, you know, both both participating. Um, I will only meet unless there are really really very severe circumstances. I will only meet, if a couple is married, I will only meet with the two of them together. Um, I have had, you know, we did it over the years and early on where the, someone would say, oh, well, I'm the one who handles the finances, not my wife or not my husband, so you don't need to see them. And it's just, it's never been the case. It never worked out well, so we just don't do it. We only see. But in this particular case, the woman was refusing to participate. Right. And what's what's the answer for the that answer guy? The answer is is that guy is going to continue to have a problem because as long as they are both not going to participate, it is going to be a very very difficult situation for him. Nobody's going to be able to extricate him if she's, you know, right. not uh, So what is the cost for a from family to live? And let's talk about that as a function of kids. Right. Um, Two children, a couple. This is a favorite question. And I obviously, I can only answer what the full paying cost of that might be. You know, if you've got a family in um, one of the major new, you know, tri-state area, everybody knows that the rough number is $400,000. You got four kids, they're all in yeshiva, you're paying full tuition, everyone's going to camp two months. Um, You know, you've got... 
Can you do it on four? Yeah, you probably can. It's not gonna. You're not gonna be away for Pesach with. Most uh, people are making four hundred thousand. No, though. they're not, and that's why I hate that question. I meet with most people I meet with don't make anywhere near four, and they're managing very well. Um, I have a budget worksheet, and the, I always tell clients the most important number on that worksheet is the difference cell, the difference between what you're bringing home and what you're spending. That's the number that matters. I've got families that are making one fifty that have lots of kids that are doing great. They're saving money every month. I've got families that are making a million dollars a year and they are in debt. They haven't put away a penny. Um, so I think that it's important to recognize that within that very scary number, there are a lot of people living very well and very happily uh, with a lot of menucha sanefesh because they've lined up what they need and what they're earning. Do you think that family making a million dollars is not budgeting, and that's why they are where they are right now? I would say that any family who has a negative number in that difference cell, let's call it, um, is doing something that needs to change. Um, Sometimes, you know, and I don't tell them how they have to, I don't sit down and say, oh, you're spending too much on X. They get to decide that. I don't tell people where to spend the money and how to spend the money, but I challenge any decision that leaves that number in, in the red, that leaves a negative number in that. So what is the first session when someone does sit down with you as a couple? Um, are you immediately going through the line items? I'm immediately going through the line items. First of all, it allows me to get to know them. You get intimately familiar with somebody's situation, how many kids they have. I want all the information. I want the kids' names. I want to know where they're in school, what grade they're in, where the baby is. Is she in daycare? Is you know, All of those questions, and I go through one at a time. Um, and even on the rare occasion that I have somebody who says, but I already do a budget and here's mine, I go through it anyway. Best case scenario, our budgets match up. But most of the time, it's not something that was natural for those people to be doing, again, if they're sitting in my office, unless they're a young couple or they're really starting out and they're just you know, getting their numbers down. So yes, we spend that first session going through all of those details coming up. I need to know, before I can answer a question, I need to know what we're talking about. I had a couple actually last night asking me very specific questions on what they are or aren't able to do and, and there's missing information. I, I can't answer a question if I don't see all of the factors. So, so I start, we're almost 10 episodes into Kosher Money. And just yesterday, I opened up a budgeting sheet that someone shared with me, and I started filling out the information. It takes time. You have to go to websites. I don't know what the cost of car insurance is. I know that they take the money out of the the bank account on a monthly basis, but I have to go in and calculate it. So how long is that first session? You're sitting there for hours while they look up all their subscriptions and how much gas they're paying for? Right, so it's an excellent question. So on the first session, what I need, I need to get close. Um, I don't need an exact number. I do ask for my clients to come ready with their last few months of bank statements and credit card statements. Most of the things are on there um, in terms of things like groceries and gas, which really, or clothing, which really need to be calculated. Um, I'm okay if they can say to me, well, I fill up my car, uh, you know, once a week and this car every other other week, my, I'm pretty quick like that. So I'm right. able to, we're able to put those numbers down. And we really do get a pretty good picture on that first shot. It's generally 60 to 90 minutes. A young couple will be under an hour for sure. A couple in their 40s or 
fees with kids and tuitions and whatever subscriptions and stuff definitely takes a little bit longer. Are you meeting them in person or Zoom? So or it's actually, it's a great question. Until COVID, it was always in person um, and, you know, it, which was great. And there's definitely something on the face to face. What's been beautiful since COVID is that I'm now seeing clients from all over. Um, I had flown out to Cleveland. The Cleveland Chesed Center brought me out and I met with a number of families on a single day in Cleveland prior to COVID. Now I can meet people from anywhere. So on Zoom, I still feel that we have that face-to-face. It's a little bit easier on my end because I do the budget as we're talking as opposed to having to go home and reconstruct it. Um, but I am, I definitely am enjoying the Zoom as well. It's, it's working. It's getting the job done. So you spoke about that difference in the line items. Um, and the most common refrain we hear from people is that, thank you for all the tips, the information, the clarity. But even with all of that, I'm simply not making enough to cover my basic e- expenses. I'm not overspending. I'm not doing crazy things. I'm not taking lavish vacations, but I'm not covering all my costs. What do you do when you're in the red after budgeting? So obviously, once we've met with somebody and we, you know, can look at those numbers and agree with their assessment, because a lot of people, um, you know, it's people do the same with dieting where they'll go and they say, well, I'm eating well and there's no, I just can't lose weight. And of course, when they sit down with a nutritionist or a dietitian who says, well, you are eating well, but if you change this and this, then all of a sudden it's like, hey, wait, that's working. Um, So it would be a little bit of the same thing here where I would want those people, even if they think they've got all their numbers and they know the whole landscape, I would want them to have an outside point of view, um, sit down with them and, and really discuss those items and see what somebody who's not in their shoes might recommend. Um, but what we do is we close the gap slowly. We're looking to close that gap. We're looking to say, um, and it's maybe a combination. It may be, there may be people who say, I cannot give up a single thing that we're spending on. Um, they're not, you know, these are not uh, luxuries. These are real necessities. I have a child who's not well. I have a child who needs therapy, whatever it might be, in which case we would focus more on the earning side and what else can we do? Um, say, you know, saying, well, there's nothing I can do and therefore I need to keep spending more each month than I make is, is never an option, you know, in my book. So will you 100% of the time focus on the cutting expenses before the earnings or it really depends? It on really the- depends. It's very, it's very both, you know, both sides. And again, you know, I'll have I'll have uh, people sit with me and and sometimes I'll have a woman say to me, "Um, if you touch my manicures, I'm out of here. And I'll have somebody else say, "Um, oh, I don't care about, you know, A, B, and C, but if you touch my cleaning help, I I won't be able to live. You'll have to make up for it with therapy. And I don't make those choices. The the, the couple themselves gets to make those choices. And as long as the big picture adds up, and, and again, we've had, thank God, so, so many successes. There have been so few cases where I've looked and said, I just don't even know what to recommend other than, you know, tzedakah, because there's just no solution here that I really, really stand behind the process and the the process of doing it with an outsider if somebody is struggling. So tell us a success story. Leave out the names. Um, Um, You remember the, what was the difference in their expenses versus the income? And so I'm going to answer your question, but before I even answer, the biggest success are those younger couples, families, singles who are learning with us, who are doing, we've done some webinars, who are sitting down with us. Those are the biggest successes because those are people who probably will never get into trouble because they now have that education. So when we sit, when we sit with a, um, with a, a younger person who is working for the first time and had no idea 
that they were 21 and they should take advantage of the fact that they're now earning a full income to um, to put away for retirement. And all of a sudden they're looking and you can show them how those numbers look going forward. I won't use the name. I, I know you don't like the Ruvain Levy examples. Yeah, right. So I like I like to use uh, Rachel and Leah and some of mine. But um, you'll have you'll have people and you'll be able to show them if you put away tiny amounts at young ages, you're going to retire with millions of dollars. If you can start that now and you see their eyes light up, they didn't realize that before. So to me, those are the biggest successes. But to answer your question, um, I have some people that I work with literally, you know, monthly, weekly, I wouldn't say weekly, but monthly, where they've checked in over the course of a number of years, tremendous amounts of debt who have worked it down. Um, and then even more amazing, I've had couples that I met with once or twice, and I'll get an email a year later, and it'll say, you have no idea how thankful we are. We just paid off all our debt. One that comes to mind is a family that paid off their debt twice. Um, they were in a, they had a lot of debt, and they worked very, very hard. They made different decisions. They did great, um, and they were just at the end of paying it off when one of their children had a major issue, and there was no option. And they needed to spend money that they didn't have. It was literally like life or death. Mm -hmm. And they did. And they got out of the debt the second time. And they were great, very grateful. They made a sudat hoda'a, which they, you know, invited me to. And so to me, they, they were a tremendous success story. So two things on that. You mentioned people in their 20s and mm -hmm. prevention is the best medicine. It's not too late for someone in their 30s and 40s to start putting money away for retirement, right? It's I was, not. It's I was, right. I, yeah, I was talking to someone. He's 33, and he's like, you know, I have money just sitting in the bank. I'm not in my 20s anymore. Should, what, what should send I do? Him, I, yeah, <laughs> I gave him someone's information, and he's like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this seriously. The answer is, it's never too late. Even if you're 62 and you're hoping excuse me, to retire in five years, it's still not too late. It's just going to be a lot more challenging. Um, the returns that you can assume on a long-term investment when you're 20, you can assume that the stock market's going to make its, you know, 100-year annual average. When you're 62 and you need to retire in five years, you can't really make that assumption anymore. Um, and obviously, the amounts that you need to put away when you're 20, 30, 35 are very different. Um, I worked with a client yesterday, a single young woman who who is in her late 30s, but she has a lot of money that's aside. It just needs to be put away, and and she was in good shape. Again, different numbers for a 35-year-old and for a 20-year-old and for a 55-year-old, but all, all doable and all important. In that case where someone fell back into, and they had no, no choice, uh, they fell back into debt, do you guide them where they should get that money from so that it's not overly taxing when they have to pay it back? Right. So this was a very, very unusual situation. I really, it's probably the only time I could think of where I actually said, do what you need to do. Because things that people do put on a credit card or a loan or whatever are things that I just, I, I really would avoid at all costs. Um, and there are organizations for people to, you know, to get help if they're in a really dire straits before going to a credit card. Um, so I don't give, you know, I don't really even want to give that type of advice. I don't advise it. Right. I, and when you go to these um, gemachs or, or institutions that will lend you money, you need a guarantor or someone that... Often you do. And again, I only recommend those gemachs in a case where you already have credit card debt that you're paying a high percentage on, and you're going to use that to pay off the other debt. I would never recommend going there as a starting point starting for point. a loan. Yeah. And I've spoken to people, they, they have tremendous credit card debt and... 
they feel like they're never catching up because they're paying that monthly, but they don't realize that, hey, maybe if I took money from somewhere else, get that out of the way so I can breathe and really catch up month to month. Exactly. So you have a spreadsheet in front of you. People that have never seen um, a budgeting worksheet or expenses, what are some of the items on there? And to piggyback off that, what are some of the items or biggest cost drivers in the Orthodox community that people may not realize? Okay, um, so there's, I, I, I actually tried to, I, I don't know if people on YouTube can see, but. Um, we can put it in the, if you, you want to share it. Yeah, can I'm happy to share there. it. Yeah. Um, it's the beauty of working as a volunteer. Um, one, what I try to do is I try to make it very user-friendly. Um, it's got all of the same information as an official, you know, profit and loss statement or cash flow statement that people might use, but I want it to be really user-friendly. I feel like people are not, um, they're not so comfortable when they come in. They're not sure, you know, if they've, they've never done this before. So I want it to be really, really easy. Um, what we do is we start off with the expenses that are fixed, uh, things like, you know, mortgage or rent. I'm reading off the list, electric, gas, water, uh, if they have oil, an alarm, gardener, internet, home phone, cell phone, cars, car insurance, um, any health or dental insurance premiums, life insurance, a gym membership, association memberships, tuition, um, and, and, and those any other fixed expenses. And we sort of get those out of the way. Those are generally the things that are not changing too majorly unless somebody's got a real specific you know situation going on. The other, the other sheet. Those sounded like all needs, right? Those, those are yes. They're they're. I mean, other than let's say the gym, which is you know, or an alarm. I guess you can argue. They're they're right, all right. they're all needs. Right. Um, are there ways to cut? Are there recommendations? Sure. Um, but essentially, those are not the numbers that we're we're really going to be able to tweak too much. Understood. Um, the other side of the page, which we then incorporate into the general number, are the discretionary expenses. Some of them still may be needs. Groceries are not optional. Um, but they're the numbers that fluctuate, that change. From from week to week, month to month, and this is where I want my clients really to track going forward. If you know, if there's, if they're in a situation that that they you know want to be making sure that they're spending the right amount on certain things. We've got gas, auto maintenance, Easy Pass, public transportation, groceries, household, dry cleaning, health and beauty, uh, medical or therapy, pharmacy, dental, clothing, entertainment, dining out, travel, gifts or tips, pets, subscriptions, charity, uh, an accountant, home maintenance. And and additional spending money. And again, there are people who have things that are not on the list. Let me get a little closer here. Um, there are people that have things that are obviously not on the list. Not everybody has all of these things. Um, I can generally tell within the first three minutes of a meeting if people have pets or not. Right. Um, but the, that's and and once we put that together, once we've got a you know that view, that bird's eye view. Um, we then go on to income. Obviously, we need to discuss debts, which is a, another section of the sheet. Again, some couples, some individuals are starting out, don't have debt. What a beautiful thing. But even those who do, if we need a third page, I don't get rattled by that. I think it's just important for people to have all of that information down on that singular, in that single, single place. Um, even though it's difficult information and it's a lot of times things that are keeping them up at night, um, you're not creating debt by writing it down. Right. You're just, and I like the idea of having everything in one place and being able to say, okay, here it is. It's out. It's out in the open. And, and how do we attack? And it's probably we... therapeutic after they have it all on a piece of paper, right? Uh, again, I have, I have rarely found anybody leave 
at my office or another um, advisor's office where they are worse off than when they came in. There is, for people who were coming for positive things, great. Even for people who said, there's nothing that can be done, there's not... I always find that there's something about having everything organized in an organized way with a plan of attack, um, with knowing what are, we, what are our first steps, what are our next steps. It, it, it helps. It's, it, you feel a little bit better. So looking at the list of discretionary expenses, mm-hmm. which line items, which two or three do you say usually – hey, we can immediately start cutting back over here. Right. So again, I, I don't tell anybody where they need to spend. Um, and if people are are saying, well, I've got a, that you, I can't touch this category, but maybe they're willing to touch a different category. I'm okay with that. Let's I say they're, assu- assume they're open to feedback. And- if they're open to feedback, the categories, okay, obviously tuition is the biggest number on a lot of people's spreadsheet. Um, and there are times when I will go back with them and challenge them the number that they're being asked to pay, specifically when they're in a situation which may need um, a lower number for a short amount of time with a with a goal in mind. Um, and I say that carefully because most of the time the tuition committees are actually very, very reasonable and they're asking things in a way. But again, many people are not putting together their numbers the way that we are at this meeting. And this, we have I've very often been copied on a copy of the budget going to the tuition committee or going to an executive director saying, this is what the snapshot looks like. Here's where we stand, you know, help us or speak to us or describe to us what your vision is. And we'll tell you what our vision is. Tuition committees will ask for a budgeting worksheet like um, this? They sometimes will. And very often they won't. And when you can present it and show them, I'm not spending, I'm not going away on vacation, I'm not spending thousands of dollars on things that can be cut, please look here and please tell me what your vision is, where where you see us coming out. I think that the, the committees take that, you know, very seriously, that someone's now done their homework, and they've gone through this, this effort, and they've put these numbers together in a way that they're understandable to other people. Um, so the tuition is definitely one, obviously, large area, but areas that, that are sort of traps that people are spending, I find, tons of money on that they can, you know, tweak a little bit. Groceries, groceries are huge. Everyone comes in thinking that they're spending the bare minimum on groceries. I've had people look at me and say to me, well, you don't understand. And I'll look at them and go, no, no, I, I do understand. I live here and thank God I have a big family and I and I shop in the same stores that you're in. And I do understand. But I also know that if you put together a menu on a Saturday night of what the meals will be for the week, you will, by definition, cut out a lot of the waste and a lot of the extra and a lot of the running to stores at the last minute for takeout when if there's a little bit more planning. And again, I say this, I'm not, I, I don't want to be a Dave Ramsey who's speaking to millions of people at once. I'm not a one size fits all, which is the beauty of working with a with a, a financial planner or an advisor who can sit and say, ah, in your particular case, this wouldn't work. You know, that's a lot of a lot of what we need to look at. Everyone's situation is completely different. But in each situation, we try and find where where there's improvements. Um, another thing that that our community is spending a lot of money on, and I say this super carefully because it's not something that's easily cuttable, is therapy. Um, there's a lot, a lot of money being spent for, um, especially children's therapies. 
And again, this may be critical, but questions that we have to ask are, is it something that needs to be done weekly? Could it be done every other week? Um, and again, if you're in a situation where you're spending money on it that you don't have, what are the other options? Um, you know, Beaker Holm has been amazing. A lot of the organizations locally have been amazing in cases where it's just an impossible cut. But it's, From a financial standpoint, uh, they've been assisting? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so going to the groceries, is that the way you recommend to people to cut back by sitting down on Saturday night and working out a meal plan? I love that. I've actually gone to the supermarket with clients who have challenged me and said, there's no way, there's no way. I've actually gone into the store and shopped with them. Um, And again, not to say that, you know, that, that, every family is the same size or shape or, and, you know, and I'll ask questions like, do you eat only Chalav Yisrael and are you vegan? Because there are, there are elements that, that will cost more or less. Sometimes people have, um, you know, some health need in the family, which will require, but for the most part, a lot of mistakes that I see are people going to three or four different stores. They think they're saving $6 on juice by going to uh, Target. But at the end of the day, they're spending a lot of time and a lot of money doing things in a way that doesn't make sense. I have found a menu at the beginning of the week, call it on a Saturday night, certainly for a working mom or a working woman um, or working man, to to do that at the beginning of the week and make up that determination and when we're going to cook and how it's going to be done. And yes, it's a little bit of freedom that you're losing, but if, if you can't do that, then you can't do that. And let me clarify, if someone is in a position where they've got tons of money, tons of extra money, and they want to eat out every night, knock yourself out. I, I don't, and that's not a lifestyle choice I'm judging. But if that's a place where you can cut numbers, um, I, it, I have found that to be very successful. You mentioned tuition committees and people perhaps being short. There are people out there that are struggling to pay their bills and are paying full tuition, but they don't stop and think and say, hey, Maybe if I present my case to the schools, I can get some sort of so discount. Generally, the, the, that's a, there's a psychological break there because people who are paying full tuition and not getting any assistance may not want to ask for assistance. You're, you're fairly putting yourself under a lot of scrutiny when you do that. Um, a, a tuition committee should be able to say, hey, I noticed that you went away or I noticed that your child was in camp for two months or things like that. That's a fair question for a tuition committee. Some might argue committee. that that's a necessity though, right? I need um, to, all the other kids are out. I don't have anything for my kid. I can't cut back on camp. Right. And so, is that a real struggle within the, with when the parents meet the tuition? Are they going through each line item and saying, hey, why should we give you a tuition break if you guys went on vacation in January. Right. So there are, again, each question, each family is indivi- individual. And and I think when you talk about going to camp as a general camp, I think you're 100% right. I am, I am a big believer in and supporter of Achiezer's camp fund for that exact reason. Um, if parents are working, children need to be in camp. But there's in camp and there's in camp. And if somebody else is paying your tuition, which is essentially what's happening when you are getting a scholarship, you have to really put yourself up to that standard to make sure that everything you're doing is not something that you're now uh, imposing on the person who's now going to be paying higher tuition because you've got lower tuition. But leaving aside people who are paying full tuition, Mm -hmm. um, most people that I'm seeing are getting some sort of a break. 
I think it is um, if you really are scrutinizing or working on your own finances and trying to get yourself out of debt. I have seen cases where um, where a, a, an executive director or where a tuition committee is presented with a case and said, "Listen, this is what they're able to pay. If you see you know uh, other holes in here, please let us know." And a big question that comes up is a mom who's chosen to stay home with her kids. Should they be eligible for the same financial assistance? You know, we're off on a tangent here, but you understand. Sure. Do I am I do I think it's wonderful for a mother or father, for that matter, to stay home with their children? If somebody has the wherewithal or the financial ability to do that, I think that's wonderful if that's their choice. But should they be allowed to make that choice when others are not able to make that choice because they need to pay? It's a question. Some say that they don't find it worthwhile for the wife to go work because that extra money is going to pay the extra tuition anyway. So just stay at home. And forgetting the hashkafa portion of the question, is that a financially valid way of thinking? Um, again, I see very, very few situations where financially it won't be at least somewhat beneficial for a second person in the family to be working um, because even babysitters are not watching one child. <laughs> so, you know, I've had, I've had people who very much want to be home with their children and they've taken and they've watched other people's children, um, you know, leaving aside the 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 trickiness of doing that legally, but um, I understand that, and that's so that may be a that may be a solution for some. I very rarely see a situation where it actually does not make sense. Again, when there's a, a when there's a deficit in the budget for a second parent to be working. So I see the groceries as an easy way to cut back if someone's overspending. You had mentioned therapy. Um, are there instances where you found that someone can get the same return on the therapy, but? reducing the amount of visits? I've had, again, I, I tread very carefully yeah. because I'm not a therapist, so I don't want to advise people to cut their therapy. I'm going to get and, I'm gonna get hate messages from the uh, no, therapy and, and centers. No, and I'm a very big fan of therapy and right. therapists, but I have seen, again, I throw out, a, you know, a dozen different ways to cut expenses when I meet with a, with a couple, with a single, with an individual, and... Um, I don't tell them which they need to do. I'll just throw out all of the possibilities. And I have had many people look at me and say, you know, uh, we probably could reduce the therapy to once every other week or to three times a month. Even something small like that is for somebody who's literally in debt and has no money aside for an emergency. Well, if they cut their, you know, $200 a week therapy, even by once a month, they're looking at $2,500. Well, that's now money that may be in the bank and may save them from going into debt because there's an emergency, you know. Right. So one of the suggestions that we've seen gaining more and more steam is that when it comes to families, and especially in today's day and age, they move out of town where the housing and tuition is considerably less expensive. Do you see that as a possible option? Have you recommended that to people that just aren't making it no, in it's, the tri-state? It's tri a really state? good question, and the tri-state is a tricky tricky place to be. Um, I have, I'm have i a big believer that if your only reason to leave a, an area is financial, that it's probably not the right way to do it. I've, I had a family recently who came to me, and they're very specifically looking to leave the neighborhood to improve their financial situation. 
and I'm not a fan unless there are other reasons. If they say to me, well, we also love the warm weather or we also have uh, grandparents in Ohio. Okay, so now at least there's more to it. But just very simply saying, we're struggling here. Uh, we're going to move somewhere else to, you know, because it'll be easier there. I don't always find that somebody who is struggling, I'd rather they clean up things here and then make that decision to move. Because if you're moving somewhere knowing that you don't really want to be there and you're just doing it for the finances, you're already starting with a, you know, with a, with a shot in the foot. You're already not putting your best foot forward. Um, and, you know, one, I have a good friend who who's a, does, does mortgages, works with mortgages. She said that a lot of um, what, what she's seeing now are sort of these offshoot areas that people are looking at. You know, maybe maybe it's not feasible to move to Farakway or um, to, you know, to Lawrence or to North Woodmere anymore, but maybe Valley Stream, which is the same school system and maybe that has, you know, some opportunity. And I think a lot of younger couples are looking that way and are, are sure. considering things like that. And that may be a better... My brother here, he was looking at um, areas outside of the five towns. He was looking at some point uh, East Rockaway. Um, didn't know that I'd be on this, but... You're on this podcast. <laughs> Let's welcome Yaakov Langer behind Hi. the scenes. How's it going? He's our yeah. mic man. Yeah, I'm the guy behind the scenes. What, what was... Uh, tell tell Stacy in the audience, what was the project and what happened to it? Yeah, so we, like you mentioned, you know, the, the classic areas like North Woodmere, Woodmere, Farakway, Lawrence, just, it's unaffordable. Mm -hmm. um, so we started looking at East Rockaway, and the prices were less, and it seemed like the taxes were less, but the more we looked at it, the taxes were, were actually even higher, for East Rockaway specifically. Why do you think initially that the taxes were, um, were less? Would you have even looked at The taxes at weren't reported properly on Zillow. So when I got to a house and I saw it, it was like 15000 uh, for taxes. They're like, oh, no, it's really 20000 mm -hmm. And they're like, don't worry, you're going to love the school system here. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't really <laughs> Thanks, think. Thanks, but no, thanks. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I've been looking at Lido Beach, Oceanside, Long Beach, Merrick, Malvern, looking at all these places. And right. a lot of them, you know, maybe sometimes the homes are too little. Uh, too small, uh, and sometimes taxes are too high, or sometimes even the prices are just as high. But uh, yeah, we're we're looking, and we're, we're isn't not that hard up. though? I mean, you have to get what like twenty. I'm families. like your guest on this. this you is are the, the guest. guest. No, I, I want to ask him because this is applicable. You can't just move with like four families, right? You need like a group. Yeah, well, you need a group, and and I made a meeting together with some of my friends, and and I thought it'd be like twenty people coming. It was over 60 people coming, and my phone blew up. Like, everyone's messaging, we're dying to... We don't want to move out of state. We like it here. We like the yeshivas. We like the hashkafa. Um, like what you said, they want yep. to tap into a financially cost-effective, cost-friendly neighborhood, but they don't want to leave exactly. their families. And, I, and when you talk about a group of trailblazers, I'll call you guys trailblazers because that's really could pre present a wonderful opportunity for young couples or for young families who are ready to buy a house, who financially, you know, there are benefits to buying a house, but it's just not feasible for most people to spend a million dollars for right. their first home. It's just sure. not... Uh, Yaakov, so do you want people to reach out to you in case they're listening? Um, I Not at this point. Honestly, I feel bad. That I can't keep up and it's... I have a lot of people for the past you know, six months reaching out to me and my friends like, okay, what are we doing? Where are we going? Oh, hold I, on. For those listening, it's August 2021. You're going to have people in uh, <laughs> 10 years exactly. listening to this reaching out. You'll be like, no, I've been living in Malvern for the last they'll, 12 years. They'll be able to see, to like see actually what happened. At a certain point, I will give up. There, each place I find a complication. 
it's not like we're in like New Jersey where, okay, you know what, we could cut down a bunch of trees and then have a new place, at least in Long Island. I, you know, for anyone who's listening who's in Texas right now and is like, okay, I don't care about that, sorry. But um, yeah, in Long Island, there's all these places are established, not just the Jewish people that are here. It's just people lived here for many years and it has access to the city. It, it's not so easy. And people in Brooklyn have this problem also. And Have you checked out Flatbush as an option? It's I, growing. We grew up there. You're jokingly <laughs> saying. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so expensive. And, and Okay, stop hijacking the podcast. Yeah, yeah, Thanks, okay. Yaakov. Yeah. We'll bring you on at the end again. Um, so, what are, Stacey, what are some things that you wish people knew that they don't know? Um, people that may not end up taking us on this offer to sit down with Stacy um, to go through their so um, finances. The first thing I want people to know is it doesn't have to be with Stacy. I'm I don't need to sit down with them to do this, but they must write it down. People think that they've got all the numbers, they know all the numbers, and they may. I've had people rattle like crazy numbers to me, like, "Oh, our uh, electric bill this month was at eighty nine dollars and forty six cents." Oh, last month, no problem, and that's nice. It's got to be written down. It's got to be done in a way where it's on a piece of paper and where you are looking at a monthly average and then you're tracking every month going forward. Not every month is going to look the same. So even though your average dental bill for the year may be, uh, you know, $250, you're not going to pay the dentist uh, over, you know, $21.67 each month. Right. Um, so it is very important to have those numbers down so that you can plan for expenses that are not this month, but that are coming up. Um, everyone always seems to get thrown so far off by camp. It's coming. It comes it doesn't come in september and it doesn't you know or oh my god it's yuntif again yes yuntif comes the same you know roughly the same time every year so writing things down and having a 12-month budget where you can track those expenses is key i, I think that's a big piece of the puzzle um secondly it's got to be done. You've got to have, uh, uh, if, you're, if you're married, it's got to be done as a unit. Not every, you don't have to pay the bills together. You don't have to go food shopping together. Um, I'm all for a division of labor. But once a month, a husband and wife should actually be sitting down, certainly the first time when they're making decisions as to how they're going to spend and what they're allocating to each category. But I definitely want everybody knowing what those numbers are. You know, two words that I use often are aware and deliberate. Um, I want you to be aware of expenses. Just being aware. I have so many people come in and I'll ask a question. I'll say, what do you spend on clothing per year? They have no idea. They don't even know where to start. They don't know if it's 1000 or 12000 That's not okay. You've got to know, what are you paying for cable? What are you paying for Wi-Fi? You have to know those numbers. And then deliberate is the other piece. You have to make deliberate decisions if you're going to cut, if you're going to increase. So the, doing that together is a must. Again, not paying bills together. One person can pay the bills. One person can do the grocery shopping. But that person, when they go to the grocery store, needs to know if their number is $300 a week or $400 a week or $150 a week. They have to go in knowing that number, or I can promise you they're going to come out having spent a different number each time. Um, so that's another very important piece. Um, and those are, you know, those are two great starting points. Again, if you're young, please do this now. You'll save yourself so much, you know, trial and tribulation over the years. But if you are in a, in a bad, a bad situation, 
please, there are people out there who are happy to help, who are happy to sit down and do this exercise with you and make suggestions. And again, not force you to do things. Nobody's forcing anybody. I don't, I leave it, you know, I'll have someone look at me and say, you know, Stacey, you're talking about doing this and we would never do that. I'm like, I don't really care what, you know, you don't do that. Don't do that. It doesn't, doesn't change me. It doesn't change what I have to do. But if I'm telling you that you're spending too much and that you're running a deficit, I mean, I have families running deficits. I met with somebody recently who had a, a monthly deficit of $18,000. Literally, they were in hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt because once you, you know, it's that what the hell effect, you know, you, you're, you're in debt. So I'm already in debt. What's the difference? This is not going to get any better. Why would I cut a $30 expense? It's a drop in the bucket. And I just say, you know, let's just whatever. It doesn't matter. It does matter. And let's find a way out and let's figure out What's how the 18000 because they weren't earning or they were just spending it was a combination of both but there was a lot of spending that they knew they knew it and and they they were on board they they left the meeting they emailed me afterwards i can tell from an email afterwards who's going to be successful and who's not um if you're not following up or thanking me for the hour not that i i don't care but you're right. probably not going to be a, you know probably not going to be a rock star at this seeing a lot of people coming in now they're ready to retire they're asking great retirement questions i love that because that's that means there are people who've done this correctly, mm-hmm. who've lived frugally, who've lived well, um, but it's, you know, they're they're really in good shape. And there's there's a lot of success stories out there, not just the ones you think you see, not the ones who spent a lot of money. Um, I met recently with somebody who, you know, they, they, he and his wife raised a family, actually more than one, and they're looking, the question is, do we retire now? Do we wait a little... They, they really, they did everything right. They're in great shape. They're, they're going to have, God willing, they should live until 120, be healthy. They're in really good shape. And I, I want people to know that that's a possibility. Beautiful. Beautiful. So we asked uh, questions from the crowd. People emailed in, people WhatsApped. We'll give the WhatsApp phone number again at the end. Um, but here are a few questions um, from the crowd. Um, someone asked, how much money should you use for recreational enjoyment monthly? People work hard and maybe they want to actually use their money for things besides bills. And that speaks to the people that did leave, live frugally. Are they only enjoying their lives once they turn 65? Or is there a vacation that they could take because they want to enjoy? I, I find that people who make good decisions are able to do things excuse me, that are important to them. But again, um, we, we touched on this earlier. I think it's very important to make sure that we're defining what, um, you know, properly what those luxuries are or what those, you know, bonus things are. Um, there's obviously no dollar amount because if somebody's got, you know, if somebody's making great money and they're putting away money and they're saving and they're giving their miser and they're doing all the right things, I don't care what trip they go. They should. They should. They should enjoy. And I, I when you had Rabbi Howard on, he actually answered that question, which I, I couldn't have agreed with more. The onus is not on people who are doing well to bring their you know level of their standard of living down. It's for people to live within their means, whatever those means may be. Um, so when you have people, though, I found a lot. I had to give you a specific um, situation. I had a family. The husband was 31, and he had just gotten a professional degree. He had just graduated. They already, thank God, had five kids, and things were obviously tough. I mean, the you know wife had been having babies for a while, and she was working, but was on a lot of maternity leave. He was now first starting to work, and he was asked. He was very frustrated. He was saying, "I don't understand. You know, why are things so tough? Why are we always short?" And I and I asked him. I said, "I'm just curious. I you know you're 31, and you just now um, finished your your degree." 
degree. Um, why is that? You know, what? where were you at age 18? And he said, well, I, I learned for seven years. And I said, wow, what is chus? You do realize that not everybody has that possibility. Not everybody is able to opt for that. So don't forget when you get to a certain point, you know, just having a home in a in the tri-state area, having a lot of children is a huge bonus that we kind of, because it's so expected in our community, mm. we've now like written off that this is just an, uh, uh, we get this, you know, this is a gimme. If you're, if you're able to learn and you've taken the time to do that, it may come at a little bit of a cost, but embrace that cost. Remind yourself when things are a little bit, you know, you know, takes a little bit longer to get a house or to, to be stable. Remind yourself why that is. Hey, wait, I had this amazing opportunity. I chose to learn. We chose to not wait. For, I mean, non-from couples wait years and years to, to have children. They, you know, they don't go traveling or doing things for five or seven years. So if we do choose those things, and I'm a huge fan of everyone choosing what's critical for them. I never tell people, well, I don't do that or I wouldn't do that. No, that's great. But please don't forget that you chose that. That was a that was a legitimate choice. It's not like, oh, well, everyone does that. That's why things may take a little bit longer and you may not have a house at age 30. It may take till 35. That's okay. Those are wonderful things. Those are wonderful, but those are luxuries. We just don't call them that in our, you know, in our in our world. Great answer. Um, so someone wants to know what the pie chart is. How much of their income should be spent on housing, tuition, food, retirement savings? Is there a pie chart? I'm sure if there was, it would be somewhat of a range, but yeah. Right. So again, you know, there, the you, your housing costs should not exceed 25 to 30 percent of your of your total income. Um, you, you know that you wouldn't want to have be making uh, six thousand dollars a month in income and paying three thousand dollars for a rental. That's not a good idea. Um, you're always going to be, uh, you know, behind the eight ball. So there are certain, you know, gauges like that. Um, food again is something that should be determined in advance based on your family size, and you know, try to stick to that. Um, and again, I can give you a range on that. I, again, this is a five towns number, but okay, uh, a couple of two should be spending, I would say, between one twenty-five and one fifty a week on food. Um, uh, is that with kids? Uh, well, no, that's a couple, a couple of two. If you've got. Uh, you know, an infant, it probably shouldn't change too much. Once you have one or two children, you'd be up to about 200, 250. Uh, once you've got a fuller family, older kids, you're looking, <clears throat> excuse me, at 300 plus. And once you've got a fully grown family, four plus kids, you're looking at $400 a week. Um, those are numbers that are doable. Again, you're not eating skirt steak every night for dinner, right. um, but you're having meat on Shabbos and you're, you know, eating normally. Again, there are a hundred factors. Are the kids all on hot lunch or are you sending lunch? Or is everybody getting, you know, snacks in camp or are you sending? So there's so many questions. Um, but in terms of the retirement and the savings, yeah. I, I just think that's you know, people wait too long to fill up their budget, and then there's it's very hard to make room for it later. Your tuitions generally increase. You have more kids, thank God, and your your kids start going to high school. High school costs more than third grade, even though, ironically, four-year nursery sometimes costs more than first grade. Um, but you know, once you have those once you have those elements, it's very hard to make room for savings. If you're young, if you still have some room in that budget. Just start funding your Roth IRA, please. Right. Put $100 a month, put $200 a month. If you've got an employer who matches, put that money in. Start start early, start often. And those numbers have a crazy way of growing. And over time, 
and really can can make a, a big difference. I would imagine also that people that allocate some, even if it's a small amount early on, they sort of get into their habit where 30s and 40s, it just comes easy to them. Even though it might not still be a lot of money, um, it'll add up. And how about tuition? Do you alloc- what, what sort of uh, percentage? If someone's like allocating 50% of their income on tuition, is that like is that a big red flag for you? Yeah, it is a big red flag. And in fact, um, I mean, some of the schools actually published the, their numbers. Um, some of the New Jersey schools, I believe, published the numbers. If you're earning up to a certain amount, um, then the number might be 10% of your gross income. And once you're earning, you know, above, uh, let's call it 150,000, that number sh- could could go up, and it may be closer to 15 percent of your gross income and once you're at three and four hundred thousand dollars your number should be 25 to 30 percent um, and if that's still not enough then it may you know you you may need assistance even if you're at a very in a very high earning again assuming that you're not spending money on on other things that are you know that may seem realistic and reasonable but may not to a t- tuition committee we actually have a couple of tuition episodes because by far it's the largest expense yep. Orthodox Jews have. Um, and people have started submitting the same question over and over. They said, oh, ask the schools how many people pay full tuition. How many people? I said, I don't know, but we can try and ask. Based on yeah. where you're sitting, are most people paying no. full? No, they're not. No, 35% to 40%. And again, that is not across the board. That's from the handful of schools that I'm more intimately familiar with. That that would be approximately the number. And you're based in the five towns. I am based in the five are towns. Are you, if someone in Lakewood hears this and wants to work together with you, is that an oh, opportunity? Um, yeah, no, I'm 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 available. I'm we do this on Zoom, so I don't. Yeah, yeah I'm happy do, to work with anybody. How do people get in touch with you? So the best way is to email A. Wartelsky, Aliza Wartelsky. It's A-W-A-R-T-E-L-S-K-Y at achiezer.org. And she will be able to uh, to get you know them set up with a great financial advisor, myself or someone else, to be able to do this uh, this important process. I actually follow your podcast. You have your own podcast. I do, in its infancy, but yes. <laughs> I follow you on Instagram. What was it? Making Sense? Making Sense with Stacy. That's C-E-N-T-S, That's Sense C-E-N-T-S, Money. Yes, yep. And Stacy, you speak spell it wrong. S-T-A-C-E-Y. Right. You have the E in there just for, just for you, extra. Mom. <laughs> yeah. um, so making sense with Stacy on Instagram. Again, if you want to touch base with Stacy, um, email Achiezer, awartelsky at achiezer.org. I think a lot of people will reach out. Hope so. Could I could I use your services? So I'll tell you a funny story. Um, I, I was um, I was given an award at a dinner um, about two years ago, right before COVID. Yes, I, I saw that when I googled you. Okay, we, I googled all the guests beforehand. Mm-hmm, thank you. And um, and I sat with. They had the camera guy wanted to set up, and so we sat down. They're like, we want some shots and some video footage. So the camera guy was filming, and his the assistant sat down across to me, and just to you know, they said, okay, you know, make it look like what you usually do. I go, well, you want to do a budget and he's like sure and we started and about 10 minutes in like okay we're done he's like wait can we finish and I ended up doing a full we had the full meeting and everything and it was great because it's everybody needs this I I think there's um, and I'm really hoping that living smarter Jewish will achieve there's no stigma to this this is not a oh I'm failing so I need to sit down with a financial planner the irony is you know people all across America pay thousands of dollars to sit with a financial planner I just got certified as a certified financial planner Um, you know and I I laugh I feel like there should be a line out the door but um, you know it's really an important important thing and if people are able to do it it's it's a wonderful uh, it's a wonderful exercise have you ever had any conversations with the schools to try to get financial literacy programs 
baked into their schedules. So and a lot of the schools do have it. A lot of the schools, I um, I believe TAG has a, a, a person who comes in and teaches. Um, it should be a part of every school's curriculum, whether it's a one-on, you know, pre-Israel um, discussion on budgeting or check writing. I mean, some, I've had young people come in with questions. They don't understand the difference between credit, a credit card, debit. These are important things for young people to know, um, each at their level. So I would say that you know, again, Achiezer has made this available. If there are schools that want to do it, we're here. We'd be happy to come in and, and work with anyone who needs. What age would you recommend? Would you have it starting in high school? So I started that? budgeting at age seven. My, my dad used to give us like a list and say, show, you know, write down what clothing you need and how much you think each item might cost. And because it was done with a smile and love and not out of a, you know, a horrible place, um, we love doing it. Um, I actually, I, I would like you to change your tagline just for this show. Okay, go ahead. Because, well, you always say that financial planning not so awesome it can oh, be awesome okay. if it's done in a in a good way it really <laughs> we should do that being a jew awesome financial planning awesome. also awesome it is awesome it's it can it really if you do it in the right way if you start kids my kids have been getting allowance since very young ages i've done um, seminars where we've spoken to parents on the best way to work with kids if it's done early and they're empowered it doesn't become a you know a, a tightening or or a, or a bad feeling it's something that they feel a control over oh wait I get to choose do I want to do this do I not want to do this it works with spouses as well. Sometimes, you know, the spouses don't want to be under a tight rein. You can say, okay, within the budget, we have, I worked with a couple actually for, for a very long time um, where there was definite discretionary income available, but it wasn't something that they could put on a piece of paper. So we had an allowance for husband and an allowance for wife built into the budget, and that money was theirs to spend each month. That's healthy. That's good um, to make choices, to not be able to choose everything, but to be able to choose some things. Um, so I, I think that's uh, that's also good. I have a friend who said he uses this debit card for his children. I think it's called Greenlight, mm -hmm. where they get a picture of themselves on the card. And if they do chores, they get paid for it just to create some sort of financial awareness that things cost. And it says it's it's amazing. The, the children are actually learning from a young age that not everything is free. Not every time you go to Target. Um you know, is just throw everything into the cart. There's a, a cost to everything. I have another friend who opened up an Acorn account and then every week he automatically, it automatically withdraws, you know, $15, $20 and it puts it into some sort of account so that if and when um, he's making a simcha, he's able to take some of that money that has grown over the years. Are there apps that you recommend these to are people? All, these are all great. I, I, I'm a, it, it, certainly if somebody's struggling in any way, I'm a big fan of cash. There is nothing that feels like, and, and Simi mentioned this yeah, on her, sure. her podcast also, I couldn't agree more. If somebody is struggling, you know, if someone is very financially sound and they're responsible and they're spending on their needs and their numbers are coming in the same each month, um, then I'm not as strict as a Dave Ramsey and I don't leave credit card points on the table. Um, you know, those points can can be very valuable and if a family can be responsible and use them, great. Um, if you're not, if you're if you're someone who has debt, you should not be touching a credit card or a debit card. You should use an envelope system and you should get into the habit and uh, same with kids. Um, but I, I do like the the apps that you mentioned. Um, I like mint.com. I also, I do like Dave Ramsey's um, Every Dollar app. These are ways that you put in what you expect to spend over the course of the month and then fill in. 
in. They can, a lot of them sync with your bank account. Um, so they upload. Um, I love a piece of paper and a pencil, and I love a good Excel spreadsheet. Um, I personally keep track on Excel. I have it where it's, you know, broken out by month, and once a month I go in and I fill in, you know, what I'm expecting for the coming month and, and move forward. Awesome. So parting thoughts. If someone's listening to this, they loved it. Um, I do have a feeling this will be a favorite episode. Um, if you had to leave people with one thought that they should keep in mind or share with the spouse, what would it be? So I guess my parting thought would be this is for everybody needs this. Somehow when we grew up in our from communities and our from schools, they taught us so, so much. We're so well-versed in so many areas. Couples who, who get married go to, you know, chassan teacher, kala teacher. These are all so important. And somehow finances got overlooked. And I'm really, really looking forward to living smarter Jewish, doing what Achiezer has already begun to do in our community, which is make this a topic that should be on everybody's. They should know these things. They should be familiar with them. Not that they have to go out and be an accountant or be a financial planner, but it shouldn't be an area that makes them nervous. It should make them calm. They say, oh, I understand that or that makes sense. And therefore, when, when a couple gets together to be able to sit down and say, oh, I have so I mean, next week I'm busy with, with uh, newly engaged couples. That's my favorite audience to work with. So whether you're somebody for whom this comes very naturally or whether you're somebody who this freaks you out and you're like, oh, my God, I don't even understand what she's saying or what this means, I'll speak slower. I'll repeat myself. It's critical for everybody. If you do this on your own, you don't need me. You don't need a financial planner because you're your own financial planner. That's great. But if you don't already do this, if you're young, make sure that you do. And if you're older and haven't done this exercise, please, please sit down with somebody. You will leave happier than you came in. You'll have a sense of control. You'll have a sense of, of understanding about this very, very important topic. It doesn't have to cause stress. Um, it can become something where you, you can exert you know, a, a power over an area of your life that you didn't think you could. Wonderful. Right. Stacy. thank you so much thank for joining us. Thank you for having us. me. Bye. Take care. Bye. Wow, wow. Triple wow. Great episode. I didn't want it to end. Very, very enlightening. If you want to reach out to Stacy, hit up Achiezer, awartelski at achiezer.org. Thank you, Stacy, for joining us. This podcast is brought to you by Living L'Chaim. Hundreds of followers now on YouTube. And messages are starting to come in on WhatsApp. 914-222-5513. That number again, 914-222-5513. Share guest ideas, uh, topic suggestions, feedback on episodes. Some of the questions that were just featured were sent in via WhatsApp email. So we're not ignoring you. We're actually taking your suggestions and running with them. If you need the budgeting worksheets, you can email info at livingsmarterjewish.org, touch base with Stacy at awartelski at achiezer.org. Use their services. There are great people out there that can help you. Do not feel in despair. Thank you to my brother behind the camera, Thank you to my mother who watches on YouTube. She says she loves it. She watches it on YouTube. We've crossed the 50,000 listener mark, which is tremendous. Thank you for all you guys do. Until next episode, keep your money kosher. This podcast has been hosted by my brother, Ellie Langer, produced by me, Yaakov Langer, and brought to you 
by Living L'Chaim. To check out other podcasts from Living L'Chaim, go to livinglechaim.com. Check out our YouTube channel. Check up Living L'Chaim on podcasts and do your thing. Until next time, enjoy life. Living L'Chaim.